Welcome to episode 135 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. It is fall, which means my allergies are in full effect, so I might be coughing and uh, stammering a little bit on this episode of the podcast. I might do the Batman voice at some point. Uh, mm. But I will I will do my best to try to mute all of that uh, crazy mucusness going on with me. It is uh, it is not fun, and I believe my wife is bringing me tea in a few minutes, which is... Swear to me! Nice Swear to me! Oh God! Oh man! Why? Why? Why would I do that? Uh, okay. Uh, joining me today is uh, Derek Xenoblade. Needs to get here soon. Hermsbergen. He- Ooh, Hermsbergen. Hermsbergen. I don't know. Why I, I am the Herms. Yeah. Or my nickname today for myself was going to be Derek. Part of your the world. Hermsbergen. Because in dot hack, it's the world. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Uh, Embryon on the boards. I don't use the boards, but here I am. Oh, we have a Discord now. Oh, do Which we? Is the thing. We yeah, do. yeah. Uh, Greg launched it or helped launch it rather, uh, maybe about a week ago, as of the recording of this podcast. So, if you haven't seen it yet, I think we've got an invite up on the forums that you can access, and we're going to uh, look at integrating it into like a more major part of the site and have a button on the front page and everything. So, if you're hankering for RPG conversations in real time instead of on those clunky old message boards, look for our Discord. Yep, and I'll be, um, I'm, I'm um, Embryon on there too, by the way. So Greg is uh, Star Mongoose on the boards, and he's the person to get in touch for that. And they, I've been to the Discord a couple times, and it's already thriving. Yeah, it's it's popping off. That other voice that you heard is uh, Mike Dragon Quest Eleven needs to get here as soon as possible. Salosi, where's the lie? I, I there is none. Mm-hmm. We we need that game, and it really hurts that I know that our friends are playing that game, uh, including Steven in Japan, Steven. and I, mm-hmm. I hate him. Because he, he doesn't even like Dragon Quest, and he loves this game. <laughs> that game will be my most anticipated game until the credits are rolling down the screen of my television. Or 3DS, as it were. I am very, very excited for that game. Uh, you know, I might buy that game three times. Me yeah. too. <laughs> that, that's, that is on the table, although I'm not sure exactly what my strategy is going to be yet. Yeah. But it, it, everything I've seen about that game looks gorgeous, and uh, we don't really have any new news about it, so I don't know if we'll talk about it. But yeah, yeah We yeah. could talk about it. We oh could my. talk about. All right, no, no, no. We won't talk about <laughs> the it. The news is that it still looks good. It's it does look really, really good. I yep, need that now. And um, no. the the Japanese uh um reception of it was positive. So it's it doesn't look like it's an automatic dud. I good. use my my gauge is uh, whether or not it gets a forty out of forty in Famitsu. Uh, <laughs> so Nintendo Dogs is the best did game. It? Of all time. Got it. I yeah. believe it did. I believe it did. Okay, well, that's not altogether surprising. I mean, I I check the Famitsu review scores every now and then, and they're like their scale is from thirty to forty. That's all yes. it is. So, yes. like, I mean, it's it's sort of much like how gaming reviews in general in the West uh, kind of operate on like a seven to ten scale. So, uh, I don't really put stock in. I mean, like, you can choose to put not put stock in reviews, and that's totally understandable. As critics, we you know make the reviews, and I would prefer that you pay attention to the text rather than the score. But that being said, Famitsu scores are bullshit. 
So whatever. I think <laughs> I think sort of they still operate on the seven to ten scale that the West does, except their st- styles to have four reviewers each give a one to ten score, and they're all terrified to give anything below a seven. So it, mm-hmm. I mean, it, the math checks out. People really only grade seven to ten unless something is truly a turd in video game form, in which case it gets a five and a half. Oh, like Time and Eternity. I think I gave that like a four or maybe even a 30-something. <laughs> I felt really good about that. Wow. Uh, what did I give Dragon's Dogma? I think I gave that like a 60 or a 65. And uh, funny story, I actually, like an idiot, I went back and bought Dragon's Dogma again on PC, and I was like, all right, one more chance. <laughs> you, got the, uh, you got the Dark Arisen version? The yeah, one? and that game is still just, I don't get it. Like, I... I know that game has a following, but I think what it comes down to is uh, some people like to pay other people to hurt them, and that's the only reason I could see you enjoying Dragon's Dogma. And different strokes, different folks. Uh, I just that game is much more RPG than action game, and I think that's half the problem. Like when your damage is thirty-five, and you go up against an enemy that has thirty-six armor, you do no damage to them. If you get thirty-six damage, however, then you're suddenly going to fight them like they're a regular enemy. Oh, so weird. like it, that's. Kind of like, yeah. East does the same thing with like really, really huge changes in the effectiveness of your your stats by one point or two points. Yeah, when Um, you find the early one, when you find a new sword or something in one of the older East games, the effect is dramatic immediately. Yeah, it's like it's one of uh, a handful of games I can remember off the top of my head where I would struggle with a boss and then just go grind out one or two levels and go back and just plow through it like nothing because stats make that much of a difference. Yeah, and I'm I'm okay with stats making that big of a difference, but I think the problem is that in Dragon's Dogma, it, it doesn't tell you that up front. I mean, the game is playing like a Souls game, and Souls game stats are important, but player skill is the number one determining factor of whether or not you survive. So, I don't know. That game, I, I still don't get it. I, it was better at 60 frames a second. I'll say that much on PC. Mm-hmm. Like, it did not run like absolute crap the way it did on the PlayStation 3, but I... Yikes. Uh, speaking of East, Derek, they uh, came out and said that the East 8 uh, relocalization will not make this year. Right. Yeah. And I, I think cool. anybody could have told you that back when they announced oh, God, it because yeah. they gave like a two month window or something. No way. There's no way they were going to. I mean, I've worked in localization. I know that you cannot retranslate an entire script in two months and do QA. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. So I'm not surprised to hear that at all. Um, nor am I really disappointed or bothered because I played the game. Um, you know, I. I'm like maybe two or three trophies shy of the platinum on it. Uh, and that will sort of be motivation for me to pick it back up again. Um, so it's that's something to look forward to. If you haven't picked up East 8 yet, I would almost say wait now that we know there's a translation patch coming. Um, that's exactly I, what I'm doing. I, uh, I I bought it at launch, but I was distracted by other games at the time. And, and now that I've heard this, uh, the, criticism, the criticism of its localization and this call for a new one coming soon, yeah. I am currently waiting. And it's... I would be tempted to start it up, but there's too many games out right now. Right, right. And so just just to be clear, I was going to say, you you know, we're not, by calling out this localization again, of course, this isn't a personal attack on any of the people who worked on the game necessarily. I I think of it as there was a failure in the process somewhere along the line. Like, they didn't prioritize the quality of the script. The translation was probably riddled with errors, and then QA didn't catch a lot of the errors. And, like, a lot of it's just very stiff and unnatural sounding. So it's not that it's unintelligible. It's just that it's not polished like we come to expect for the East series. So mm-hmm. um, I, I don't 
like I don't take much pleasure in gloating or anything, but like this is an instance in which I I can point to it and be like, look, I told you, like it really was that bad. And there were people who were saying, no, shut up and play the game, like you know, stop complaining or whatever. And I, this is a really clear example of an instance in which like measured critique resulted in the improvement of the product. It is worth calling out. It's not just complaining for complaining's sake. We want it to be better. And what did they do? They listened. They said, oh yeah, we screwed up, so we're going to make it better. I'm waiting for that relocalization of uh, Persona 5. <laughs> I, that's what I thought was the first thing that came to mind after the East 8 thing. I was like, oh my god. If they could do that with Persona 5, that would be amazing. But Persona 5 is also a much, much heftier script than East 8 by a long shot. So. Right. And, and I want to play I want to play East 8. Um, I'm kind of hopeful that they'll fix the problems that were apparent with the uh, beta version of the PC. But I kind of want to play that game. I get a little bit of a Xenoblade vibe from it, and I kind of dig the art style a little bit more than uh, Xenoblade 2. I'm, I really mm-hmm. don't mean... Listeners, I really don't mean to bag on that game. And we yeah, have I think really... I think the art style's bad too, but I'm still I, I, ridiculously excited for the game. Yeah. I, I've made this comparison before, but I think that the three most recent East games are kind of my replacement for what the Madness series used to be with the sort of fast moving action combat where you switch between characters quickly and it's um I, i'm really excited for east 8 i uh, i loved it at e3 i love all of the recent east games i've played uh so i'm i, I really hope that this uh, that it's improved by new localization we do have a new uh nintendo direct next week i don't know why i'm doing news at the front maybe this will be a new format <laughs> for the okay. show yeah. uh but uh we do have a new uh xenoblade 2 direct next week and i'm hoping that they they show some more stuff for that game and yeah. i get excited for it i love the environments me too i love the environments the maps are so good and that that uh extended e3 trailer yeah it, it, just the moving around and attacking things in the game looked awesome I'm just wondering what they're going to show specifically because they went pretty deep into some of the combat mechanics in the last E3 yeah. uh, presentation. So are right. they just going to go further? Because I don't want the story spoiled for me. If they want to talk more, maybe they'll show off some of the rare blades and stuff, which, by the way, not to open up this can of worms, but so in Xenoblade 2, as you may or may not know, like the whole the core conceit of the combat system is that you have a character who's like a driver, uh, like a, an attacker, and then a blade, which is something that's tethered to them. And it's an, it's another character, like a humanoid character, but they're sort of like the energy source for your abilities and you do tandem attacks together and stuff. So they have all these, they have the blades that are like, they have some that are special characters, like one of the main characters, uh, Pyra, I believe her name is. The, Pyra. The, yeah, the, Pyra. the redheaded woman on the, like that was one of the two central characters that they showed. The, in the, I believe the you mean the one with the boobs. I right. Guess. So, I think so that's boob, what you mean. Boob sword. Her, she's yeah. really not that bad. She's not that bad. That, uh, they've toned her boobiness down, but when she was first revealed, like. I mean, yeah, so far, so far I'm not bothered. But like, so they have all the blades, right? And they have a lot that are sort of um, generic looking that just have different stats and stuff, which I I think we've talked about a little bit, and I don't really like that system because I think it sort of takes some personality out of the game. But they do have uh, a bunch of rare blades, and each of those has a unique design. Uh, Most of them, I think, are made by outside artists and stuff. But um, so far, almost all of them that have been revealed have just been, like, boob girl. Like, elemental boob girl. Like, this boob girl has giant arms coming out of her head, and this boob girl has, like, a, a... void a hole in her stomach and this boob girl has lightning power and it's like really it's, i mean it's almost like a, you're the main character in a persona game equipping a different persona except they're all boob girls and they turn into swords that's a shame i i mean it's whatever like if they're if they're well implemented and if some of them have cool backstories and stuff like i'm not terribly bothered by that but i don't see because as a rule i i hate gotcha games like and this isn't in any way a gotcha game but like 
games where you have to summon, you know, like rare whatever to power your character to be able to win. Um, and so maybe this is too loose of a comparison, but I'm seeing these blades as like, um, they're sort of like auxiliary, you know, things that you can use abilities and they're, they're drawn by different artists. So they have like a very, they have disparate styles and they're not all um, thematically consistent with one another. And that kind of bugs me. Hmm. So I'm waiting. So it's like, if the entire point of this was to like shoehorn in as many different varieties of boob girl by different artists as possible to pander to these current trends, then that's very disappointing to me. But if they turn out cool and like, you know, the variety is good and they're fun to use and okay, that's fine. I'm I'm intrigued by the you know the gameplay system of having some characters who are wielders and some characters who are blades and ma- like changing the pairings for most effectiveness. I, th- I think there's good ideas in that system, but the execution of it, where some of them are blank, boring, and generic, and uh, others are pandering and inconsistent, is a bad look. But I mean, we're not going to know until we play it, of course. But there's, I think there's intriguing parts to that system and sort of less or more puzzling parts of it to that system. I, I'm still excited to play it because I mean I, I adored the first Xenoblade and I'm they got my money. Oh yeah, for sure. It's I mean first Xenoblade, as you know, it's one of my top games of all time at this point, and I I just love it to death. So I'm probably a little bit prickly about Xenoblade Two just because I don't I don't want to. It's not that I'm not open to new ideas and stuff. It's just like it looks like a little bit further away from the original Xenoblade in terms of tone. Maybe it seems like very anime melodrama. And I guess the first one was pretty melodramatic. So I don't really yeah, know. It, it really is, dude. Yeah. So, it is. It is. But I think there was something, uh, there's something mildly restrained about that game in terms of all of its anime-ness. I, I guess that's how I saw it. That's a good way of putting it. I, I could agree with that. But anyway, uh, still very excited for it. The environments look amazing. Can't wait to explore the world. Um, and the music! Oh my god, the music sounds so good. It yeah, sounds the music's great. For me, it's, it's more my style than Xenoblade X's. I, I still am holding out that that game is great. I will, I will do my best to stay positive. It's just that art style. Yikes! So I'm excited. I, I, I own a Switch, but I don't have any games yet for it. So it'll, Xenoblade Two might be the first <laughs> Switch game that I play. I already got Mario Odyssey. Yes, Mario I, Odyssey I is great. I have, to, I have to budget, okay? No, you okay. don't. That's fair. No, That's you fair. don't. You just buy all the games, and then you pray to God that your partner ends up getting a job with better health care than you, and everything <laughs> works out just fine. I live in, I live in alone, and I have to pay a mortgage and utilities, so... Well, nah. I already offered to come down and live with you so I can get out of the house from Jackie for a little bit. Right. So yeah. like, you, you did offer that, and the, and my door's always open. <laughs> the, the, the area is expensive, though, man. You want to get away from the same wife who's uh, supposedly bringing you tea? So which is it, Rob? Uh, I, well, she's not here yet with the tea, <laughs> which means she got distracted at Target talking to people. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, that reminds me, Solosi, did you pay me back yet for those uh, tickets to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? I'm not sure if you did or not. Oh, I thought I did. I can. Um, I'll, 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 I I'll, check, my, I'll, I'll check my receipts. If I haven't wow. paid you, I can do that. I can do that after the podcast. What a time okay. to bring it up. <laughs> well, I'm just making sure. All right. We have well, now you're doc- it's thing. documented. Yeah, you can't get out of it. And, well, the the most important thing was that Jackie <laughs> bought the cheap tickets, which made everybody's life that much easier. So yeah, and, and you yeah. and you have to book those cursed child tickets a year in advance. So that's exactly what she did. Yes, I'm. Yes. I'm, I'm. I was surprised that she got a lottery spot. Uh, she between that and getting a hotel at Magfest, my wife was like rolling straight twenties in D and D terms. Like it yeah. got a little ridiculous right there. She should that start happened. playing Fire Emblem Heroes or something because she's just going to get nothing but five stars. 
yeah, that Magfest thing. Oh my god, I what what can you even say? Like, hotel rooms gone in what like uh fifty eleven minutes? I think was the the total. Yeah, something like that. That really sucks, but. Oh well, I guess I guess it's time now to talk about games. We've we've talked about enough things. Oh 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 oh, one other thing. Uh, Solosi, I bought the 35th mm-hmm. anniversary uh, Akira mangas. So oh, just, excellent! I've just been steeped in 80s nostalgia right now, which is fantastic. And we need more games to have uh, 1980s anime aesthetics with like that that big hair and everything. Like everybody I, uh, has bowl cuts. Around two years ago, I got some nice uh, like large large print hardcover color versions of the Fist of the North Star manga. Nice and yeah, like it, it. Reading that made me very nostalgic for um for an art style from before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you have that uh, Fist of the North Star game coming out, which looks awesome, though. Yeah, by the Yakuza team. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I realized the other day that like I still haven't beaten Yakuza Zero or picked up the new one, and I oh man, I yeah. just don't think I'm going to. I really like those games, but good lord, do they need an editor? <laughs> like good god like what do you mean you mean like in terms of cutting out some of the like the fluff dialogue just goes and goes and go- it is like 20 lines of dialogue to get me to do the thing that would have taken 3 yeah i i like the uh i actually like a lot of the side dialogue in the game like the side quests are really humorous and well done and some oh. of them are really touching but the the main storyline cinematics just seem to be like 5 times longer than they should be it's I feel just like both. Around, really, I, I feel both. I, I think the side quests, like the one to get the uh, the the stand-in Dragon Quest cart when it took place in the 1980s, that was really really cute. But like, I'm just flipping through dialogue. I'm like, would you just get to the, like give the control back? I think I'm becoming very antsy as a gamer. Like, I don't want to be sitting there reading lines and lines and lines of dialogue. It's probably one of the reasons it's taking me forever to beat Danganronpa V3. Like at at some point, like I play it for like forty five minutes, and I'm like, okay. Uh, How far are you? Um, chapter four. Okay, chapter okay. four. I'm, I'm plugging. We just got to the uh, the virtual world. I'll leave right. it at that. Okay. Um, which I kind of have a feeling is like the strawberry house and whatever the other house was. It and sure not... is. No, God I, damn it! I, I think that I think that the pastel fruit houses in Danganronpa two were worse than the virtual world, personally. But the uh, it, it's a similar idea. I'm not going to deny Damn that. Damn it. I knew it. I had started it and I was like, this is like Strawberry House all over again. <laughs> and that sucked. Like, oh no. Uh, all right. All right. That was also uh, chapter four too. That that just means alcohol and I will I will do my best to get through it. Uh, there's always I, a I double murder in chapter know. three and there's always a stupid other setting in chapter four. There's always a lighthouse. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, that too. I, I I still like it though. I still like, it, but I I think I'm just becoming very very antsy as a gamer. Meanwhile, the cutscenes in Wolfenstein Two, I can't get enough of them because they are so well directed and so bat crap bonkers. Like Jackie came down and saw the big thing that happens in that game at about the midway point. No spoilers here. Don't worry. And like her jaw just hit the floor, and I was like, Yeah, this game's pretty nuts. This game's pretty <laughs> nuts. Like. Anywho, all right, so let's talk about RPGs. Uh, Mike, you played some South Park, the Fractured But Whole. I did, yes. I I, uh, played that, I want to say, two weekends ago. Um, It was a lot of fun. I I binged it pretty hard since I was writing it. I uh, was trying to get a review on the site in time before launch. But uh, so I 
I, I played it for about 21 or 22 hours and definitely didn't see everything or experience everything. But I mean, short version, if you like South Park and you like RPGs, you definitely need to, need to play that game. It does the South Park thing great and the turn-based RPG thing great. But if either of those is a like negotiable question for you, then maybe don't. Hmm. It's uh, it's a direct follow-up to Stick of Truth. It continues a lot of the ideas of Stick of Truth and is narratively similar. And uh, yeah, you probably already know whether you like this game or not. But right, just, from, yeah. just from those couple sentences. Darren, yeah. did you play uh, Stick of Truth? Uh, a little bit. Maybe about two hours of it or so. I had borrowed it from a friend at one point and uh, played it a bit. I thought it was okay. Um, I think as it's probably... Well, I haven't played the new one, but at the time I thought this is the best South Park game ever made. Uh, that comes with the caveat that I think, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like so pretentious, but I think I'm done with South Park at this point, um, mostly uh, because okay. I find that a lot of their humor is like, so it's trying so hard to be like apathetic that it doesn't actually, that it misses the point on purpose and is and can be harmful. That's a very like, I am willing to discuss and debate that plenty because I know that there are some people who think that South Park has actually become more inclusive and that it sort of takes the perspective of like, it's going to make, it's continuing to make fun of everybody, you know, uh, without picking sides kind of thing. I just think that it's, yeah, having, to not pick a side, having so. it address more topics than ever does not make it more inclusive necessarily. Right. Yeah. If, it, if it keeps saying that none of these topics matter, then it's not saying anything. Yeah, exactly. So like, I don't, yeah. I actually don't hate South Park with every fiber of my being. Um, I just, uh, it's not really for me anymore, you know, so it's whatever. But um, I recognize that the, the games are actually pretty damn well made, especially in terms of like how faithfully it replicates the look and feel of the show. And then there's, there's some like legit, very funny humor in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, um, the, the cutscenes look like they could be in the show straight up. And, mm-hmm. and especially when they do humor that is appropriate for a game, um, I think is when it's our it's funniest moments. Like uh, in Stick of Truth, there's a a section that basically lampoons um, like audio diaries, like like the Bioshock style oh, stuff. Oh yeah, oh I hate those so much. Yeah, but there there was a section in the first game where they made fun of those a lot by having you find them that were and it was very self aware of what it was making fun of, and it was hysterical when you did it. And uh, in the new one, um, I don't think this counts as a spoiler because uh, you can tell that this game was mostly written two or three years ago, also because there's a uh, a, a gameplay mini game section that is similar to the mobile game Flappy Bird, which you might remember was a thing <laughs> okay. for a while. And, yeah. and basically, the the extended Flappy Bird joke is a really great Flappy Bird joke. Okay. And so, so, like things like that, I thought were excellent. But things like where, um, I, and I and again, I'm in a similar position to you, Derek, but maybe a little uh, closer to liking South Park because I, I adored South Park for many years especially the first, I would say, 11 or 12 seasons, which is a lot of South Park. But I, but at times playing The Fractured But Whole, I was worried I had maybe outgrown it because I'm just, I'm just playing in, and I'm playing it and thinking there's just too much poop and vomit in this. Or, uh, <laughs> and, and like, w- which is a weird thing to, for me to say as a longtime fan of a show where one of the major characters is a talking turd. But, yeah. uh and uh, and I and I, I bring that up because like one of my closest friends has a, such a huge aversion to vomit that she'll run out of the room if someone vomits in a movie on TV. But uh, like I, I felt that they crossed the line for me a couple times when maybe when a younger version of me wouldn't have think wouldn't have thought that was crossing the line. 
Hmm. But uh, I think it's still an enjoyable game as an RPG. It does a lot of cool things. There's a lot of inventive boss battles in that game, like boss battle mechanics that are creative and interesting, which is which is weird to think for a game that is, you know, based on an, on an existing intellectual property. Cause the, usually those kind of games like, you know, movie based games are forgettable, but this one is, this game is pure South park and a good standalone RPG, but some of the humor in it, I, I crossed a line for me that I didn't know I had like, there's they, they, they gratuitously gratuitously use uh, a certain ethnic slur for one story segment that, and, and that bothered me, but it's like things like that. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's it's pretty difficult to talk about this too, just because, um, like, I I don't necessarily think like it shouldn't be censored. First of all, like, duh, they they should be able to express these things, but like we're also allowed to look at it and say, hey, maybe this is in poor taste. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's sort of where I'm at with it. Like, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoyed the game. Like, I gave it a positive review, but uh, I think sometimes it was done in poor taste, and your mileage will vary on whether something or is in poor taste or not. Right. And, and that's kind of the heart of edgy humor, which is important to recognize here. Like with any kind of edgy humor, like I remember going to see the Book of Mormon, another thing made by the guys who made uh, South Park, the Book of Mormon, like people walked out and I'm like, well, didn't you know what you signed up for? Like you kind of have to be OK with the fact that they are going to shock and awe you. That's a little bit of what you get with South Park. But I think I get what you're saying, Derek, which is you kind of want South Park to take a stand and not have the the ambivalent white guy tone of, well, this all sucks, nothing matters, like a very like nihilistic right. kind of thing. Because like, stuff does matter. Oh, yeah. No, I would agree. And like that stuff's great when you're like an angsty teenager and you're like listening to the Smashing Pumpkins reference to my age. Uh, but like – at a certain point, you need to start making a stand, especially if, like, if you choose to be a parent and you're going to teach your children something. Like, you have to take a stand on some issues, or if you're going to be working with young people at all. Like, I, you know, I used to say things were gay when I was a dumb kid, like, growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, and now I, like, have to explain to my students why that's not appropriate. And that's okay. Like, that's me taking a stand and saying, I have grown and matured. And I think... I think Matt and Trey looked like they were going to grow and mature at a certain point, and then they just kind of backed off and said, no, we're not going to. And that was a little disappointing. Right, yeah. Yeah, so it's, I mean, the problems you would have with The Fractured But Whole are a lot of the same problems you would have with South Park, the show. But I think it's, like, trying to examine it in a vacuum, I think it, uh, I think it's a good game. For sure. And and, and also the superhero send-up moments in it were funny. Like, Oh, this is very South Park and very superhero. They make you choose a weakness in the around the thirty percent mark or so, because every superhero needs to have a kryptonite, and you basically choose an enemy type and you take more damage to that enemy type. But when you get everyone's character sheets later in the game, Cartman, the guy who insisted you have a weakness, is the only one without a weakness on his sheet. On his sheet, of course, because <laughs> it's because it's because it's very Cartman. It's like it's like there's a, a lot of hidden jokes that are that are good in this game, and a lot of text that is funny. And but sometimes in poor taste. I I I, uh, I I liked play. I liked it as I was playing it. I think it's good. But again, I I, I hate to be hammering the, on this so over and over. But the issue of obscenity in it has to be addressed. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And if it rubbed you the wrong way, then that's like an emotional reaction that you had to it, and that's something to be considered when you're reviewing it. Definitely. Yeah. It was, it was really one plot moment that 
bothered me the most. It was the one with the ethnic slur. I think I told you about it off of the cast, Derek. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and uh, so you understand why that would be bo- why that would bother me. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, that just seems like I don't know. It, it but it's say, but yeah, uh, we don't. I don't want to. Is all I really need to say. Like, it, okay, yeah, I, we I, got it. Like, yeah, like I thought there was a little bit too much poop, and that there's one ethnic slur thing I thought was in poor taste. But again, that line's drawn differently for every person. That that is very true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But as a game, it was good. Yeah. Yes, I would say that this is a good RPG and is very, very South Park. South Park is more South Park. It's a game. It's a game. I just, I I ran out on uh, the stick of truth. Like, I enjoyed what I played of it, but when I finished it, I was like, I needed that to be over maybe like (laughs) three or four hours ago. I actually, I thought that the uh, last couple segments of the stick of truth were among its strongest, but I, um, I basically agree the game could have been a little shorter, but uh, I thought, you know, the sort of final gauntlet was pretty cool in that one. Yeah, it was cool, but I just, I, I think that combat system kind of wore out its welcome with me a little bit, and I just the, got... The new one has combat that is a little cooler, I think. You're on a sort of a small grid. Yeah. And, uh, and the timings of the different attacks are easier. It's a, They're a little bit more forgiving and a little bit easier to see on screen. And uh, you have a party of, of four instead of a party of two... There's like twelve classes that you can uh, that you can gain to uh, you know set up your skill set and loadout. There's a lot of cool RPG things in this game. Yeah, you said uh, it's on a, a grid, and picturing it in my head because it's like a, it's depicted like a sort of semi-traditional JRPG, you know, side-scrolling battle t- type thing. So that made me immediately think of Radiant Historia for some reason. Yes. So it, like, it, oh God, no! It, oh, no. Knock enemies into the same square. Um. <laughs> there is it is a lot like Radiant Historia in that way, but there's there's not a lot of knocking enemies into one square and then throwing all of your spells in that square. It's just but there's there are displacement moves and area of effect moves that are you know and those do play a factor. But um, it is like Radiant Historia in which case it's a it's something like a four by four or a five by five or maybe a ten by five grid and not like a giant fire emblem thirty by thirty grid. So more like Rhapsody, a musical adventure, than Final Fantasy Tactics. But sure. I, I don't know. I just wanted to reference Rhapsody, a musical adventure. <laughs> it, it, on the uh, on the Nipponichi scale, it's closer to Rhapsody, a musical adventure, than it is to Disgaea. Okay. All right. Does that mean you will not be playing the uh, Radiant Historia Special Edition, Derek? You know, I think I still will, because uh, I... I still liked things about Radiant Historia, but it was one of those games that I thought had severely wasted potential. Yep, um, I'm a little fair. I'm wary because I know that this is a, yet another entry in Atlas's recent like let's refresh an old game with a third story route with girl. Like, okay, so I I've heard that um, some of the I, I remember hearing some impressions that people in Japan weren't super impressed by the new story, but. Um, I don't know. That remains to be seen. So yeah, I'll probably pick it up anyway. I don't know why they redesigned Erica because she looked way better before. But besides that, like, I'll I'll see. I'll check it out. The game has amazing music, so that's a big thing. Maybe I can just look for the soundtrack. I think that's fair. You're you're allowed to just look for the soundtrack. I think Marcos will probably somehow have the soundtrack before the game comes out in Japan. He's <laughs> he's got the hookup. That's what's up. Yeah, I need to get. Uh, that reminds me of the. Legend of Heroes Sen no Kiseki 3 soundtrack comes out in Japan in like two weeks. Oh, and cool. Falcom is usually really good about putting all of their stuff on US iTunes. So I've been like checking the iTunes store every day to see if it's up for pre-order. 
because the music in that game, from what I've heard, I have like the mini soundtrack that came with the Japanese uh, like day one edition. So good. So it's like good. A, it, that'll be like a sample of like twelve tracks or something. It was like five, yeah, five or oh, six. Wow. Hmm. So the the full soundtrack is I think four discs. So I can't wait to hear that. Now, now, Mike, over here, I just had a Monster Hunter uh, printed over and over again on my notes. Uh, <laughs> is this just you getting excited for Monster Hunter World, or what are you up to? Uh, a little of column A, a little of column B, if there was, I don't know if you even said a second thing. There, there wasn't, question. but I get what you were going okay, for. Yeah, but uh, basically, uh, Capcom just recently had an event in Osaka where they invited a bunch of game journalists over to play a few, um, to play several hours of Monster Hunter World. And so earlier this week, uh, or maybe last week, depending on when this is posted, is uh, you'll see a lot of f- sort of first impressions and new details emerging for Monster Hunter World in various previews. Like I know IGN had a pretty lengthy one. A bunch of YouTubers had uh, multiple videos out. So it was so that. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff about Monster Hunter World. I mean, a lot of this will be meaningless unless you've played other Monster Hunter games. But there's new ways of invent of uh, organizing inventory. Uh, they yeah uh, by um by tracking monsters during quests you can build up an information database of them so you don't have to check uh wiki articles to find out where monsters weak points and breakable and breakable parts are uh oh shoot you can you can make a wish list at the smith and set aside materials as you find them so you don't have to check on what materials you need between every single quest you can capture small mo- small animals during quests and keep them as pets and your house. There's just a, a huge number of Monster Hunter World details emerged from these previews. So well, we, we don't have one on RPG Fan because, I mean, we didn't have firsthand experience. But you, if you Google around a little bit, you can find just a wealth of new Monster Hunter World information from the first week of November. And uh, I'm pretty excited for that, I gotta say. I'm yeah. not a, I've tried Monster Hunter... Monster Hunter has bounced off of me time and time and time again. I've tried, I've probably bought like three, three, yeah, three of them at this point. Uh, what the one for Wii Monster Hunter Try or whatever that was, and that was the one that kicked that kicked that had me fall off the wagon on. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then four for um, 3ds, and then four G or X. I don't know what what it's called in the US. Um, X in Japan is called Generations in the US. Yeah, that one, that one. Yeah. So I mean, none of them, none of them stick with me. I don't know what it is. So I think maybe the sort of slight variance in gameplay style and world is a little more appealing. Or I could just play as uh, Aloy if I wanted. Yeah. Um. They yeah, Ubisoft recently uh, or Capcom and Ubisoft together let you can play as Aloy and equip your Palico, which are these you know little cat assistants that you can take along in quests. Uh, equip your Palico with uh, Horizon Zero Dawn equipment, and pa- Palicos are useful. They can gather items for you or set traps for monsters and, or, you know, like stun them with little cat hammers or something. They're handy little guys. But, uh, I mean, me personally, I've probably said this on podcasts before and I apologize, but I played the hell out of the PSP monster hunters then tried the first Wii one and hated it. And so I haven't really been into monster hunter the past few years, but the monster hunter world trailer got me really, really excited at E3 and I bought one of the three DS ones and I've been playing it off and on the past couple of months and following the news for Monster Hunter World closely. So, mm-hmm. And, and I, I know that there's a couple other RPG fan staff members that are into it, so we'll probably have someone review it for the site and probably set up a squad um, for uh, probably PSN, but I don't, know, I don't know what versions people will be playing. Uh, one of the new additions is you can basically um, set up um, groups and 
get so more social features, let you know when, uh, uh, what people in your group need to hunt and you can organize group hunts more easily. And there's drop in, drop out multiplayer. If, if you don't use the grouping squad function, there's, it's, there's so many quality of life improvements in monster hunter world. And so many, uh, we're starting a new chapter of monster hunter kind of improvements that it, the game looks like both the most exciting monster hunter game maybe ever. And the best new entry point for the series by far. Hmm. I, I am excited. I'm just also like intimidated as all hell. Like that that trailer that uh, the the gameplay demo that we saw at E3 was like that was busy. That was very very busy. I know you're saying that they streamlined a lot of things, but uh-huh. to to me, somebody that's never played a Monster Hunter, I was just like, gah. Like there is so much going on right now. It looked cool, but I, I think there might be a little too much going on for for my small brain to handle. For the older Monster Hunter games, if someone was curious, I would probably insist that they play with someone uh, who had already played a lot of Monster Hunter just to familiarize themselves. But this one, that might not be necessary. You might be able to go in cold. But uh, again, the game's not out yet. I don't know exactly how much more friendly it is to new hunters. But I have not been this excited for a Monster Hunter game basically ever since I started playing with uh, Monster Hunter Freedom 2 for the PSP. Did they say when the PC version's coming out? No, just after the console version. Um, the rumor is it's not going to be that long a turnaround. People are saying a month, but th- that's all speculation. I'm we okay just... with a month to uh, optimize it, but I would, I'd probably rather play that on PC uh, if, uh, if it's optimized well for PC. But it, it looks cool. It does look really, really cool. I'm going to give that game the old college try. Yeah. But, but, Mike, you might have to hold my hand the entire time I'm playing it. I'll help. I mean, I... Again, I've I've been actually struggling a little bit with this uh, with the 3DS Monster Hunter game I bought um, because I'm, I'm fighting a bunch of monsters that had skipped me over the years. I'd never fought a, a Lagia Cruz or a or a Devil Joe before, uh, or Murder Pickle, according to the to the Monster Hunter fan websites. Good old Murder Pickle. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a it's a big Tyrannosaurus thing with bumpy green skin, so they call it Murder Pickle, which I think is pretty inspired. Yeah, but that's pretty good. Yeah, so, so I, uh, I've i been struggling at times with the guild quests in the Monster Hunter game I bought, which was Generations for 3DS. But I know that world is going to be very different. And um, j- just the controls, having multiple shoulder buttons to work with and a separate joystick for camera without do- doing the goofy 3DS attachment thing is, just, is very, very exciting for me. I've, I've been watching weapon demo videos and just building up my hype for the game. It's... Uh, I'm 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 a biased example. <laughs> it does look good. It does look really really good. I just we all we all thought it was a Souls game when they first showed it. Yeah, right. Like, ah! Well, the uh, I know when I, when I, when I first played a Souls game, it reminded me of Monster Hunter. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, way around. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how the fidgets have spun. Um, um, oh no. <laughs> Sorry, I heard that and I had to. Say, <laughs> I hate I'm, it so much. I'm using that now. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, uh, speaking of Aloy and, and Monster Hunter, I just a brief uh, to touch on it briefly. Rather, I can't talk today. Uh, are you going to pick up the Frozen Wilds? That's what it's called, right, Rob? Uh, I did not play Horizon Zero. What? I did what? not. I there were there was a choice. the The choice was between Zelda and Horizon, and I went with Zelda. And I just have not had a chance to go back and play Horizon. Yeah. Well, I guess you can get the complete edition when that I, comes. That's out. what I was planning on. I, I was kind of part of me was thinking, is that going to be like my uh, Christmas break game? But then I remembered that Xenoblade's out. Xenoblade, yeah. Uh, but like, I 
I have a feeling, because remember we talked about that with Caitlin, I have a feeling I'm going to end up liking Horizon more than Zelda. I, I think I'm going to like the directedness of Horizon a little bit more, a little bit more focus on combat. I, I think I'm going to be one of those weird people that says I like Horizon more. Hmm. And, I, you know, Zelda's great, but like I I can, I, I can't remember a damn thing I did in that game. I, I remember a, a huge sense of freedom, which is amazing and hard to replicate, but those dungeons were super forgettable. Like, <sighs> so sad. I know, I know, I know. I really want that. Don't get me wrong. I do not want them to go backwards with Zelda. Do not go backwards. Like, take the criticisms. Like, and I think that there are legitimate criticisms for that game. We're we're we're, we're almost at the six month window when we can safely criticize Zelda. We're past it, right? <laughs> so, so I think we can now criticize Zelda and say like, hey, this game was like an eight point five maybe a nine for some people and let's talk about things that'll make it better next time <laughs> instead of like the oh my god this is the best game ever oh my jim sterling gave it a low score so now we have to twitter bomb him like oh, Jesus. Well, well now the all of that super superlative commentary is on mario odyssey and not zelda yeah and i, I think mario's great and it's probably like a nine or a nine point five for me. I think Mario's fantastic, but like that 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 damn chef area, I did not enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> I have not played any oh, no? either of those games, but I'm excited no, I, to. Do you know the area I'm talking about, Derek? Yeah. I, I did not like that area at all. I didn't like the gimmick in that area. I I died quite a few times from just like a, a weird bounce and the way Mario's butt catches on fire when he hits the lava and he just decides to mm-hmm. run into fire again. I was getting a little... That, that was the only area in the game where I started getting frustrated. Uh, like, what did you think about in Orlando? <laughs> I can't tell if you're being serious or not. The no, seriously, the uh, there's an area in Mario Odyssey that's I haven't like, gotten there yet. Apparently, is it just oh, in Orlando? Oh yes! god! Okay, sorry. They're just archers waiting for me. Is that what you're saying? No, I just, I mean, I'll try to find a non-spoilery screen cap for you. Okay, okay. No, I, I really like Mario Odyssey. I think it's a fantastic game. I think everybody should give it a try. And and Zelda's a fantastic game. We were commenting before that this has been a fantastic year for Nintendo. Like, Nintendo just brought the damn pain, and it's really, really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy that they have a, well, three great, or at least, I mean, I don't know if they're as good, but you can edit this out. Nope, like, nope, we, nope, stay in it. <laughs> um, uh, we have a great Mario, Zelda, and Metroid, debatably great for each of them, I guess, in the oh, same I will, calendar. I will fight the hell out of anybody <laughs> that thinks that Samus Returns is, is the best Metroid since Super Metroid. I, oh, I, I didn't so say that, but I mean, getting three in one year that are all well-received I think is remarkable, at least. Yeah, I, I, very, well, I very much enjoyed Samus Returns, but that game was quite repetitive. You, like, yeah. Extremely repetitive. How, it was, how it was, desperate are we that we have all latched on to Samus Returns as being the, like, new friggin' messiah of Metroid. No, nope. My my negative feelings on that game have actually strengthened since I, I beat it. Wow, I am yeah. not I'm not negative on it, but I, I have legit criticisms. I, I actually really I think, like the yeah. way Samus controls, but I like you are doing the same thing over and over again and the lack of backtracking was kind of a major bummer, but that was that was almost a problem inherent with the original game. So like how much do you recreate it? I I don't know, but uh, I think Samus Returns is about as bland as a mayonnaise sandwich. Wow. First off, I love mayonnaise. Okay. All right. Okay, well, um, you're allowed to. And I think it has boring level design. I think it has boring boss fights, except for maybe two. There there are two standout boss fights, and one of them is actually just really 
uh, annoying because it's hard, but I mean, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. yeah uh, I can't remember anything about the soundtrack really because it was either drowned out by the sound effects or it was too quiet and too ambient. And uh, I think the visual design is really boring and really samey and I don't like the levels. So um, I think those are all legit criticisms. I, d- I didn't have them quite as much as you did, but to me, that game was like a 7.5 or an 8. Like, yeah, it's, like, really it's, a, it's a hard six for me. And I don't think it's a piece of crap by any means. I just think that like the reason why my reaction is so sort of like hyperbolic is because people have been praising it as like, oh my God, Metroid is back, you guys. And like, I don't, I don't see that at all. There have been so many Metroidvania games by other developers and other styles that have been so much better. Well, that. I think I think your criticism is much the same way that I feel about Breath of the Wild, where I'm like, hey, I found a lot of this to be very repetitive, and I can't really remember a whole lot of it. And yes, the gameplay systems are fun, but I don't really see a point to it. And everybody was like going nuts over it. I'd say Breath of the Wild's a better game than Samus Returns, don't get me wrong, but like... I kind of had a similar reaction where I'm just kind of sitting there going like, really? Nobody else is seeing these problems? Am I the only one? Like, these do not break the game necessarily, but I think that they're legitimate and worth talking about. If if you can permit me to play armchair psychologist slash game reviewer for a second. Sure, go right ahead. If we think that maybe Samus Returns was overrated uh, by the greater public a little bit because they were thirsty for a, two, a new 2D Metroid game. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Do yeah. we worry a little bit that people are going to overrate uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night next year the same way because they're so, they so thirsty for a 2D Castlevania game? I could definitely see that happening. We I mean, did, we did the, get a new gameplay video of Bloodstained a few days ago as at the time of this recording. And it it looks like a 2D Castlevania game, but doesn't look as, you know... Uh, as perfectly constructed or crafted as I would hope being, being, you know, uh, a a huge fan of the Egovania games. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I think that there is a, there's a turning point for these things. I mean, if we're, if we're going to talk about, uh, if we're going to talk about crowdfunded games, I mean, you've got to bring up Mighty Number no. 9, which I remember mm-hmm. I played the demo for that, and I didn't think it was nearly as bad as people thought it was. So there's I, – I, I didn't think it was great. I, I thought it was very mediocre. But uh, – mediocre. But I don't understand the giant hate for it just the same way I don't understand the giant love for Breath of the Wild or Samus Returns. I think Bloodstained is on the path to be way... It's going to go one or two ways. It's either going to be like way overhyped and way overpraised, or people are going to tear it apart because it's not Symphony of the Night again. And you just have to look at the 3DS game, uh, 3DS games. Just look at the DS Castlevanias. Like So many of those came out in such rapid succession, and they... They kind of got forgotten about, but like each one of those individually is really good. It's like you keep getting them over and over again, and you forget how good each yeah, one is individually. We got three GBA ones and three DS ones over a period of eight years, I think. Yeah, or maybe maybe, yeah. Even, maybe even seven years. So we and uh, and most of those were very were at least very good. Some great. I mean, each person will probably have a different favorite, but we did get a little bit spoiled on those, and people I think really want another one of those games and. I worry that that's going to affect the overall perception of Bloodstained, which I'm still excited for. Like, I, I've probably given to too many games on Kickstarters, and for every one that knocks it out of the park, like a uh, like an FTL or a Shovel Knight, you have ones that are much more underwhelming or, or just okay, like a uh, oh, I don't know, like a, a Cosmic Star Heroine or a. Uh, but you get the idea. So, yeah. um, but because this is a big, high-profile, crowdfunded project that is coming from a known creator and it's a kind of game that a lot of people want. 
I, I'm worried about what that game's going to end up being and that its public perception is going to be all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I, I to go back to another game that came out this year, I think Resident Evil 7 is a great game. I really enjoyed it. The last third of that game is not very good at all. Like, it, that game kind of ends on a low note. Meanwhile, I got to bring it up, The Evil Within 2 kind of starts on a low note. That game gets better than Resident Evil 7. Like, the ending of The Evil Within 2 is amazing. Like, it was, holy crap, I can't believe you guys pulled this off. It, they're both on inverse trajectories. And it's really interesting to me that Resident Evil 7 got all this hype because it starts so damn strong, but it peters out, whereas The Evil Within 2 kind of slower start, not really all that great. It doesn't really get great until it kind of loosens the reins and lets you play with it some more. But like the ending to Resident Evil 7, I thought was borderline bad. And yet that game got all the praise because it was a return to Resident Evil proper in many people's eyes. And so they were willing to overlook some of the facts. I mean, let's also be honest, they got away with a lot of DLC nonsense. A lot of those modes that are in Resident Evil 7 that you had to pay for. Oh, (laughs) Those would be extra modes in any other Resident Evil, and they would have been free. Right. And, to, 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 to rewind the topic a little bit, um, yeah. One of the one of those Monster Hunter announcements in From Osaka was they promised not to have uh, random loot boxes in the game. Oh, thank you. The fact that we have to like <laughs> announce that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think public perception is it's something that always interests me in video games and like going back and replaying games and like, you know, Dragon's Dogma got torn apart when it came out and then you had a very large contingent of people that said, no, it's really, really good. And I'm still in the, no, it's pretty crap. Uh, Lords of the Fallen is now looked at very, very poorly. And I'm like, yeah, this game actually reviewed okay from most people when it and came I thought, out. I thought everyone hated that thing. Well, that, now they do. Now they do, but when it first came out, people were like, oh yeah, it's a good substitute for Dark Souls, because it was like, it was a first next-generation Souls-like game. So, so, so. Um, it, it's, I don't know, I think public perception of video games is really, really tough. My wife just came in with my tea, I'm going to talk to oh, her. Oh, it's tea time. Yes, it's tea time. Uh, what's oh, the you're next- playing Golf Story. What's the next <laughs> Hot. Hot. What's the next topic that we have? The next topic we have is uh, .hack GU. So, um, Derek, I, I need you to say every piece of punctuation perfectly without looking at it, without reading, no peeking. Come on, Rob, nope. do it. I, I give up ahead of time. .hack GU slash slash. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Um, it's actually .hack slash slash uppercase G period, uppercase U period, space, last space, recode. So... I think that's right. Anyway, I don't know why I'm uh, being pedantic for for chuckles, but I do everything for chuckles. So, um, .hack last recode. Here's a series that I never thought was going to get an HD remaster in this day and age. And, uh, I I mean, I'm still waiting for stuff like the Xenosaga trilogy to get a remaster. But, I mean, hey, .hack is something that a lot of people really like. So, uh, the last recode is a package that has all three volumes of .hack that were originally released on the PlayStation 2 about 10 years ago. And uh, it also has the terminal disc, which was a premium like uh, side disc that came with the limited edition of the first volume of .hackGU on PS2 back in the day. Um, and it has videos that recap all of the first .hack quadrilogy and then some other bonus materials and stuff. Um, so it has all that and a new parody mode, which is, uh, they call it parody mode, but it's really just like 20 or so cutscenes that have humorous dialogue dubbed over existing scenes and i watched i watched them and i was like eh. I'm, i mean a lot of it's like very 
anime, like if you have ever been to an anime convention and gone to like the AMV competition and if, and if you've seen stuff there that has made you laugh, you'll probably really like this because it's sort of the same type of humor. So without a judgment on that, that's just like kind of what it is. Um, anyway, so it has all that. And crucially, it has volume four reconnections. So .hackgu was, was three games. Um, this was sort of before episodic gaming was really a thing. But they had three individual individual volumes of the series, and they made a brand new fourth volume for this HD remaster that sort of wraps up the story. Um, it's kind of like, it's just an extended epilogue, and I think it provides a, like a clearer and happier ending to the game. Um, it's only about two hours long, so I won't spoil anything for it here, but uh, I thought it was pretty well done, and I, I didn't mind the inclusion, especially with the, the cutscenes in it they did in kind of a new style that uh, looked pretty good overall, so... So, so just making sure I know the history of Dot .hack here, you had the original Dot .hack games, right? Yeah, there are four of them. And those games were, I, I want to say, uh, we were talking about public perception, so here I go again. But, like, they were kind of okay, well-received, and if I remember yeah. correctly, the GU games were received better? I think so. Uh, they all suffer from sort of the same problems, which is that the Dot .hack series, whether it's the original or GU, is molded around the idea of a fake online RPG. Right. And so you're playing you're sort of like playing as a person playing an MMORPG. So the games have uh, like a fake computer desktop where you can read the character's email and like check forums, and then you log into the game and actually play it from there. The problem with this is that all of the games are fundamentally designed around MMO-style grindy tasks, and the dungeons are all like randomly generated. So mm. I don't... So the, the, I just don't think it's fun to play at all. I think that Dot .hack does some very interesting things, which I'll get to in a minute, but but the actual moment-to-moment like combat and gameplay, not so fun. Um, so yeah, I think at the time of release, it was, it was a novelty because they had never done such a wide uh, cross-media like, collaboration type thing with an RPG that I, or a video game that I remember at least because every volume of the first series of Dot .hack came with an anime DVD. And this was, of course, like way before streaming was really, you know, available to us. So it was really cool to have this anime. The, the anime was running in the real world concurrently with what was happening in each game. So you kind of got like a sense of what was happening on two fronts. And you got to sort of engage on two different levels in terms of like one was playable, one was non-playable. So I thought that was really cool. And I think um, if there was a lot of praise for Dot .hack at the time, it was for that more so than the actual like game being good. Uh, the the story is is uh, perfectly interesting and fair, and I'm I'm talking about GU right now, but just to like touch upon it, the original Dot .hack games were all about um, you know guy who plays the <laughs> fake MMO Kazuntai Jackie, yeah, uh, Kazuntai Jackie <laughs> that plays uh, the fake MMO the world, and then he's sort of like uh, one of his friends who is introducing him to the game gets attacked by a weird monster, and he falls into a coma in real life. And then it sort of follows the story of like what's happening, and there's weird uh, like data corruption in the in the online RPG. And then it turns out that there's like a sentient AI and stuff. And so the main character goes on this quest to like you know wake people up from their real life comas that they fell into after playing the game. So Dot uh, Hack Gu is a in a like in a way of speaking, it's a direct sequel. But I mean, it, it definitely takes place in the same world. Um, after the original, I say the world, the same, you know, universe or whatever, after the first series has ended. So you're playing as a different character who um, is playing, like, the world R2, which is the second version of the fake MMORPG. And 
he's playing because one of similar to the first game, like one of his characters, uh, sorry, one of his friends was attacked by some weird NPC supposedly. And then she fell into a coma in real life. So he's trying to find out information about that NPC and like what happened, how could she have possibly fallen into a, into a coma from a video game? Cause if you die in the game, you die in real life. So you play as this guy. That was, a, that was a Gerard Butler movie. Reference there. <laughs> I know that one. Gamer. Gamer. Yeah, with uh, with um, the guy from Dexter in it, and uh, and Terry Crews. That that movie's insane. Maybe <laughs> don't watch the movie. Okay. Um, except, for the, except for the musical scene at uh, Michael C. Hall's house. Oh, I don't know that, about that. That movie's that movie's something. Maybe maybe quoting. see it. Maybe don't. Okay. Yeah. So in Dotek Gu Haseo is trying to track down the the character who killed his friend in game. Um, he's kind of a snobbish, arrogant jerk, and uh, the the world R two in in the context of this um, series is like plagued by PKs, player killers. So there's a really big problem with like characters who play specifically to kill other people, and it's like you know it brings up some interesting moral quandaries of like even though it's just a game, you know, is it is it kosher to wander around just murdering people as you see fit, even though they don't handle it all that like with, there's not that much nuance. It's just sort of like you shouldn't be killing people if you're playing the game. And then other people are like, well, if it's in the rules, you should be allowed to blah, blah, blah. So Haseo is a PKK, a killer of player killers. So he's kind of like, he tries to be like a badass vigilante type who goes around killing people. And it's like, that just makes me think of Omar from the wire. Okay. Yeah. If you really think about it, like it's kind of hokey that they treat it with such gravitas and it's like so dramatic that, oh my God, he's known as the terror of death because he kills players who kill other players. Like the terror like, of death. That's his nick. His nickname is the terror of death. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. All right. It's that's a little on the nose now, isn't it? Well, you know. Yeah. It's a little ham fisted. So I, but, but it's fine. Like it's, it's pretty anime, but that's, that's okay. So, um, the story, I think, overall in .hack GU is fairly interesting, like the core sort of story, as well as the lore surrounding it. The games are really padded. They're really full of filler stuff that just sort of doesn't matter. Like, um, the main guy has to beat seven or so, I forget how many. I want to say seven or eight people who are called epitaph wielders throughout the game, and they have, like, a... They can summon, like, a weird persona-looking thing, um, and he has to defeat them over the course of the series, so it's, like you know there's going to be a sort of uh, cyclical build-up to the next Epitaph user and the boss fight and stuff throughout each of the games. So it feels like it feels like an anime series that's kind of padded and stretched out. But the uh, the thing that I really like about it is I think it has incredible atmosphere and world-building. And I, for me, the most exciting part and the most interesting part of playing those games is not when you're in the MMO, but when you're in the like fake desktop stuff. I really enjoyed reading the forum posts and how a lot of it called back to, it reminded me of when I used to play Final Fantasy XI specifically because there was sort of like a different um, maybe MMO player culture then. And so a lot of that calls back to that period as well as they have this like in-game news service where you can read um, articles talking about what's happening in the, in the real world of the video game, if that makes sense. So there are things like, oh yeah, they just developed a plane that can fly across the uh, Pacific Ocean in four days, or not four days, sorry, four hours. So it's like, you know, amazing. We're traveling faster than ever between continents, but the price is exorbitant. Or like, uh, since everybody in in .hack is playing uh, the MMO with these virtual reality headsets, it's like, oh, people are wearing their virtual reality headsets out into the world. And they're like, you know, it's creating this new sort of weird phenomenon where people are out in public, but they're doing something that's deeply... uh, 
singular, like they're not socializing with anyone, something very antisocial. That's the word I was looking for. So like that stuff I think is super cool. And I really enjoy reading all of that. And I realized that that's not really gameplay. Um, so for a lot of people, they, they may be like, well, I don't want to just sit around clicking on articles and reading text and watching little video clips. But for me, like that was the coolest part of it. <laughs> so no, that sounds, that sounds like a really fun, <laughs> unique way to world build in that game. Yeah, and I think that actually really holds up well. So um, even if some of the stuff they express is almost funny looking back on, because they're like, the game takes place in 2017. So (laughs) we definitely don't have uh, a plane that can make it across the entire ocean from U.S. to Japan in four hours right now, unless unless the government's holding out on us. And then, no, we're not walking around with our... I mean, we have VR headsets now, but it's not quite the same. And we're not walking around with them in public and sitting at you know Starbucks playing MMOs. So um, I'm kind of rambling here, but I think so. Dothek Recode I, th- I felt like was an interesting choice for an HD remaster because there's really not. Uh, I don't think the game holds up as a video game. I think it holds up as uh, I've called it a time like a, d- a digital time capsule because it's really interesting to look at sort of what path they predicted the future would take. And it's interesting to find out more about the world and the characters and stuff. Things like uh, you can read forum posts outside of the out of the, the MMO by a character who will later join your party before you even know them kind of thing. Like all, there's a lot of cool foreshadowing and like tying together of the world that way. But the, the video game is just sort of like boring. Um, it's a semi-basic action RPG. You have the main character can wield four different weapon types and... He has like some basic combos and you have skills that you can throw in there. And it's, you know, it's like, it's fine is how I would describe it. But as far as the dungeons, man, they're such a slog. They're like empty. They're nothing but empty hallways and giant, giant empty rooms with like groups of three enemies clustered around. That's what I was afraid of. When I was yeah, watching see, videos for the game, I was like, ooh, that looks like Castlevania Lay Men of Innocence. I'm just it like, is yeah. outrageously repetitive. Like, you uh, will have seen, I mean, other than the different uh, sort of environments, visual visual designs, um, you will have seen everything the game has to offer by the time you've run through just like two or three dungeons. Um, of course, your character gets stronger, you get new abilities and stuff, but I, I just don't, it's not fun. The dungeons aren't fun, and the way that the game progresses is you... My hamster is making a racket. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think he could do something. So you, you like you go you go through a dungeon. You'll watch a couple of cutscenes, and then he'll be like, "Okay, I'm going to log out and check my email or something." So you go to the desktop, you check your email, and then there's an email from a character saying, "Haseo, you have to log in because we have to do this thing." And then you log back in and do a dungeon and watch a cutscene and log out, and then log in and then do a dungeon and watch a cutscene and log out. So it's like there's no um, you could really. If you want to be reductionist, you could say, like, oh, every video game just consists of you completing the same tasks over and over. But, like, this is really clearly super repetitive and monotonous. So um, I, I think it's it's interesting. Like, it's worth revisiting, but I wouldn't get your expectations up because it's not a very fun RPG, but it is, like, a cool sort of slice of past uh, glimpses at future internet culture. What I hear you saying is that you would have much rather had a Xenosaga compilation. Yeah, yeah, please. Even though, you know, Xenosaga episode two is what it is, and what it is is not great. <laughs> I still would kind of rather revisit that because it's a little bit played, more of a robust RPG. I only played one, and I didn't really like it. I lo- I loved the opening of it because it was so, like, stark and, like, I don't know. There's something about that futuristic setting that's, like, everything is so clean and alien that really, like... 
it makes me uncomfortable. It's like the complete polar opposite of like the 1979 alien. Like there's no piping. There's no nothing. It's just like brightly lit white hallways. And that's what they think the future is going to look like. Yeah. It's, it's sterile. I would like to give that trilogy a second chance. Cause I liked the first one a lot and didn't really finish it and was a little bit turned off by how different the second one looked. It's almost the three games have like slightly different art styles that yeah, threw me first, each, that threw me each time I saw one of the new ones. Yeah, the first one was very chibi, the second one was more realistic and then the third one was kind of like a mix of the two. Like Wait, the, third, the, the third the third one. Third Xenosaga. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Xenosaga. I thought you were talking about Dot Hack still. I was like, no, what? no, no, no. We were we we got off Dot Hack and we we Yeah, yeah. Uh, Xenosaga because I well well these compilations I think that's a great way to play these games again I think it's awesome that they're showing up on Steam we've said that over and over again like it, it's amazing to see all the East games on Steam that's great oh god yeah. yeah and I'm like what about Xenosaga like they they've hinted at it a couple times like maybe or what about Digital Devil Saga that could be kind of mm-hmm. nice if they if they uh, tone down their random encounter rate yeah. Yeah, we talked about that at length over two episodes of Retro Encounter and uh, earlier uh, last month. And every time we we talked about, they need to lower the random encounter rate. They need to give this an an HD or PC version of this. uh, Basically, all the time that that game is so so good, or uh, the first one at least, but but hamstrung by a bad random encounter rate. Yeah, and now we're going to get Shin Megami Tensei Five on the Switch, and that trailer got me excited. They didn't really show anything, but I'm super excited for that because I, I think in the end I liked Shin Megami Tensei Four more. Uh, I just remember that game being a hell of a lot more fair than Apocalypse, but you know, if they can take the the quest design of Apocalypse where you actually know where the hell you're going and put that into a new Shin Megami Tensei, I, I'm really excited for that. And I want to see what they do with the Switch, and do they still go for their amazing UI design that was, like, perfect for that the That was Switch. really good. Yeah, that yeah. I mean, that's one of the best-designed handheld games. Like, they just knocked it out of the park, and every other game feels like... Every other game feels wrong compared to what they did on that game. I didn't mean to derail. <laughs> no, what else? I would actually really love. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, just final note on that is I would love to see them return to like Kazuma Kaneko's art style from Nocturne and yeah, Digital Devil Saga stuff. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot better than the uh, SMT4 Apocalypse. I wouldn't mind, and I I have Nocturne sitting on my computer desk because I tried out the PlayStation Two emulator and I was playing the real version. I didn't have a pirated version. Uh, but like, I would love that art design in a game that maybe plays a little bit better because Nocturne is a little rough. Like, it's it's, it's a little it's a little weird that um I don't know what Kaneko's position in Atlas is right now. I think he's some I think he's an executive and not working on games as much. But we've been seeing his same demon designs from Nocturne over a decade and a half of games. But I don't know when was the last time we had a like uh you know Kaneko faces in one of Atlas's RPGs. Was it? Was it like one of the Rido games, maybe? Yeah, oh, right. in both yeah. of those, they had Kaneko's uh, characters. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I like him as a character designer. I, I wouldn't mind I seeing seeing yeah. more, you know, like those uh, very uh, pale faces, but with with colorful hair and features and sort of sharp angles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a unique style. So yeah, Dot Hack Last Recode. Uh, it's it's uh, interesting. The, the word novelty is what kept coming to mind. So I can't really recommend it as a video game. I, I mean, it's you know fifty bucks for for what you get. You get three 
full length RPGs, which are very padded, but they're like, you know, pretty, pretty long. And then the last episode is only about two hours. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't count that as a full game or anything, but you get a lot for your money. It's just like, what's there. Isn't that fun to play? Um, but, oh, I forgot to mention the, the, they added a cheat mode to it so that you can instantly start the game with like max level, max stats, max like healing items and stuff. So you can steamroll right through all the fights if you just want to see the story. So that's a nice option. But I think that the battle system is the only bit of complexity that the game has going for it. So even that is sort of like, I don't know, it seems kind of like a waste to get rid of battles. I just wish the dungeons were better designed so I would feel better about battling in them. So, um, yeah, my my final word on that is I feel like it's... Uh, I, I reviewed this elsewhere uh, for a different website. But I, I think that it is um, interesting in that it depicts a future where we have... Um, advancements in virtual reality tech like people are playing this mmo where you're walking around as if you're actually in the game but uh they have not made any advancements in terms of game design because we have mmorpgs out today final fantasy 14 that are so much better in terms of design than anything dot hack shows us it's so rooted in that early 2000s like grindy 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 style of gameplay that it's not very fun to revisit i think so that's my feeling all right Dot hack, GU. I guess I don't need to play it. Yeah, I'd pass. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame, but it's not horrible. I just I think it's it's such a time sink for not much, you know. To get yeah, it's, it's more an interesting uh, time capsule, which is yeah. really cool. Like I, when they first started talking about the dot hack series, I was like, ooh, because I kind of I didn't have a Dreamcast, so I couldn't play Fantasy Star Online. So this kind of seemed like a weird, oh. uh, kind of like middle ground which was cool. Yeah. I I know that a lot of people liked those games. They were basically sort of a a cult PS2 series. But as someone that has not played any of them, I remember just, it seemed like a new one was out every six months. There were so many, and I I, I didn't, I, I guess the, I guess there were seven. But, like I would see multiple of them on shelves on GameStop and just be a little, a little whelmed. Like, what, how many of these are there? Like, are the yeah. two trilogies, yeah. are they all connected? I don't know what's going on. It scared me a little bit away from him. Yep. Cool. Cool. All right. So, uh, moving on, you guys have a, another re-release to talk about. Zvi. Zvi. Zvi, briefly. Yeah. Yeah. Zvi uh, is a Falcom game. So, Xseed is continuing to bring us some games from Falcom's back catalog. And this is actually Zvi 2, technically. Um, the original Zvi was like a... 2D uh, action game where you switch between two characters, uh, action RPG, you switch between two characters, um, like a fighter and a mage, basically. And it was for PCs, and um, there was like a PS2 port in Japan and a PSP port eventually, but it's it's quite aged, and I think that like it didn't age super well. So the one that we just got here is actually Zvi 2, and they've cleverly called it um, Zvi the Ilvard Insurrection. Ilvard is the land that it takes place in. So if you spell it out, it's like Zvi II, so Zvi 2. I thought that was smart. Um, so you don't need to have played the previous one, and it's uh, it's like a standalone game. This is uh, another action RPG, but it's more in the vein of, like, Gurumin, or, um, well, Nayuta no Kiseki was kind of like a follow-up to this, almost. So it's like a chibi-styled action RPG. Um, it's on Steam, just came out. It looked and... like Reseteer from the videos I saw. Oh, the art style is kind of like that, yeah. So it's got it's it's a little hard to explain. It's like an it's definitely got an earlier era vibe to it in terms of 
um, character designs and stuff. Because you're right about um, Reseteer, and it kind of reminds me of funny that second time I thought of this today is Rhapsody, a musical adventure, oh. <laughs> like shocking sure. cat characters and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you play as a treasure hunter named Ragna, and he, or he's like a courier as well. So he's got this big red airplane, and he's flying it around these floating islands and stuff, and he gets shot down by you know magical bad guys or whatever and uh, he's gonna die and this vampire girl named Alwyn comes and revives him and makes him into her blood servant or blood knight or something like that so then they sort of form a partnership and she's wanting him to help her win back her castle that she was recently ousted from by like some other demon who wants to take over and be bad um so it's uh it's a, it's a really bright colorful action rpg and it's kind of um, it reminds me almost of Brave Fencer Musashi. Oh, wow. It's like that, that kind of vibe. So A lot of clever references that we're making trying to describe this game. Brave Fencer Musashi. You mean the game that came with the Final Fantasy VIII demo? Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, so had like, a, that had an okay PS2 remake as well. Oh, it was like a sequel. Oh, yeah, it was, it was a sequel. sequel. Yeah. Okay. And I, I remember it was not happened. okay. I haven't played either of of them. Yeah, Samurai Legend was, like, weird and janky. But anyway, um, I actually haven't played too much as well yet. I've only put a couple of hours into it because I was pretty busy with the heck. But uh, it's other things that stand out about it. Um, Really good localization so far, like sharp writing. Um, I know, Rob, you're a fan of stuff like earlier, like, Tenchi Muyo-style anime Right? Are you saying I like my harem animes? Is that what yeah? You're no, I, I mean this isn't yeah. like a harem yeah, anime no. necessarily, but but the the writing feels like that. It feels more like earlier, um, like English dub type stuff of Tenchi Muyo, or uh, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to draw too many comparisons. Just made the entire internet like lose, Slayers like, faith in me. Oh God! Oh God! Okay, all right, I get yeah, what you're saying. That kind of thing. So like so yeah. like kind of slapstick, but like not over the top in terms of it's not like got weird moe pandering stuff as far as i can tell so far you mean like um, back when anime was fun is what i think you're trying <laughs> yeah, to say i i shudder to think if tenchi muyo was made in like 2015 oh my god instead of the late 90s how much grosser would it have been it would just be bible black like that's what it would end up being <laughs> or night shift nurses or something uh, <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I think i get what derek's going for is like that that 90s 80s that 90s anime aesthetic where it was okay to be funny and it wasn't like overtly sexual all the time like you could have yeah. you could have sexuality in it but it wasn't like yeah i i think i get what you're saying yeah, yeah. so it gives me that vibe and um so i appreciate that the writing is really good so far it's actually voice acted in english and the voice acting is really good. Oh, cool. Um, they, I guess they didn't voice like a ton of it, but some of the main story scenes are voiced. And I, I, that was a surprise for me. I had no idea that they had done that. Um, and then another weird thing, like the final thing that I'll bring up, is it has a weird leveling system in which you level up by eating food. Um, you don't that's, just, that's how I level up. Yeah, I know, right? So it's, it's true to life. You don't just level up by beating enemies. You actually have to use drops to like cook food, and then the food that you eat will give you... So it's a little bit Odin spherical, maybe? Yeah, there you go. Maybe that's where they got their inspiration. So, so far, um, I'm, I'm really liking what I've played of it. It's got a really good... It makes a great first impression, I think. And good music, of course, because it's Falcom. Um, but I will report back with more once I've finished it, because I'm on deck to review it for us as well. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Oh, I, I remember that game looking super cool at E3, and the 
the characters' designs were so diverse and goofy because you have this vampire girl and some giant luchador superhero dude. Yeah, it's it. it it, it looked cool. I was uh, I'm I'm intrigued to play it, but I, you know, I just, it kind of harkens back to a simpler time. <laughs> I just yeah. made a mistake of I added it to my Steam wish list, and that made me look at my Steam wish list. And you know what game oh, I Lord. still haven't played, guys? Trying to. No. So many. All Derek's, of them. Derek's gonna get really mad at me. Probably hundred games. Yeah. I, I haven't played near. Oh, Automata. Yeah. I At all? I, I didn't. I, I'm so interested in playing it, but I just... The, 2017 has been nuts. Like, oh, really absurd been, yeah. all year in terms yeah. of game release. I think that, this is going down as, like, one of the biggest, biggest years for video games ever. Yeah, It's, like, up there with 2004, 2001. Like, those years of just, like... Like, there's just... There are all these games, and every time... I, I, I still haven't beat Persona. I feel like I say that on every. Time. I don't even know what to say to you anymore. I, I know. Rob, I've beaten I Persona Five twice. Jesus God, Mike! Seriously? Yeah, I got the platinum trophy on it, and uh, and one of the and one of the trophies is for the super boss that is only in the second playthrough. Oh my God, I, I hate you. I hate you cray. Well, I've got, I, I've got two. I I, I, I binged I binged the hell out of it for three weeks for the first time, and then the second time was like me playing it slowly over three or four months. But uh, yeah, I've beaten it twice. Yeah, I I've made the it, it's I've said it multiple times on the podcast, but I screwed up in that I beat Persona Three before it came out. I think that's what did it. I put like twenty hours into Persona Three to beat it, and I was a little Persona out when Persona Five came out. You like, see, I, I have the opposite. Where I was just, I mean, I'm like one of those Metroid fans. I was so thirsty for a new <laughs> Persona game that, I, that my hype levels were just through the roof, and it, and the whole time I'm playing it, I'm just thinking ten out of ten, ten out of ten. Well, I, want, I, I want to get I, near. <laughs> I want to get near on PC, but apparently that PC port is a little rocky. So, but it's apparently your mileage may vary. I don't know. I I have two major vacations coming up. I have Thanksgiving and I have Christmas. And well, I, Rob, people have different tastes and preferences. So that's true. That's true. I just there. So I still need to beat Wolfenstein two. I still need to beat Super Mario Odyssey, and I still need to beat Danganronpa V three. I am such a twenty seventeen usually... is crazy. I am usually a monogamous gamer where I only play one game and I if I try to play more than one at a time I get messed up and I think Persona 5 was close enough to Breath of the Wild that like Breath of the Wild had just burned me out. Like I was exhausted after Breath of the Wild. I had nothing Wait, did Breath of the Wild come out before or after Persona 5? A little bit before, I think. But they were they were like 2 weeks apart in April. Yeah, a little before. Yeah, that's why I got messed up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Breath of the Wild like and Nier came out I, in that same window too. As much as I bag on Breath of the Wild because I I don't think it's perfect, that game did like eat up all my time, so I clearly enjoyed it. And like I played that game to hell and back so all right uh two quick pieces of news to go into uh the first is it is blizzcon and uh unfortunately there is no diablo news that that makes me sad they said that was going to happen but no no diablo reveals or anything i actually just want to i actually just want to see them make a new action rpg in another universe at this point i I think diablo is kind of played out and if i play one sequel that plays like diablo 3 uh well like i i i just want to see a different world from blizzard at this point i think they've got so much talent and if i play one more game where i have to kill diablo i'm gonna get a little upset or if i play another game where i fight junko i'm gonna get upset ah! uh, <laughs> but keep, i i keep playing v3 just, oh, just wonderful keep, keep wonderful playing. 
But I think, uh, like, there was uh, talk on, I think I want to say Polygon, somebody wrote an article a few months back about how they would like to see a game just called Sanctuary, the the world of Diablo 3. So, like, it isn't about killing Diablo, but it still takes place in that very unique universe. That would be really cool, but uh, no Diablo news from BlizzCon. But we did get news. If you remember back uh, a couple months ago, Blizzard made it a point of shutting down legacy World of Warcraft servers. And in the back of my mind, I kind of thought, is this another Samus Returns scenario where then we find out that, oh, yeah, the reason they've been shutting it down is because they've been working on it. And it looks like they are with World of Warcraft Classic. Yeah, for real. Which is, uh, we don't know a whole lot about it. They've basically said that they're working on this and it's going to take some time. But they want to create the original World of Warcraft experience without the launch of World of Warcraft. So I think that means they want it to play well, but play old school. That is a brilliant idea. That is absolutely brilliant for them to do that. Because at this point, World of Warcraft, my experience, if I were to pick that game up now, would be entirely different from somebody who played it when the game was first released. And that's a good thing. But there's also something to be said for the historical aspect of a game that has continued on this way and has grown so much. And I think it's really smart for them to go back and release a classic edition of it and let people play the game the way it was played way back oh god when did it first come out 2004 2004, yeah i remember right when i started college a bunch of my friends yeah did we both go to college the same year 2004 i i graduated from high school in 04 yeah same okay yeah yeah, you and i are you and i are old uh but wait you graduated from high school in 04 rob yeah what yeah i graduated i graduated in 05 yeah, but you got to remember, I had two years of kindergarten because I didn't know my shapes and I didn't know how to skip. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, yeah, the, yeah, the three of us are thirty, thirty-one, and thirty-two. It's old man day on the podcast. Yes, oh, it okay. is old man. Oh God, you're thirty, Derek. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. You leveled up. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that. I'm pretty sure you wished me a happy birthday. I probably did. <laughs> the past few months have been a blur. Uh, way too much work. Uh, but yeah, World of Warcraft Classic, that is a really, really good idea. I think I want to see more of that stuff from a game preservation standpoint. Like, it absolutely sucks that you can't easily play the original Diablo. Like, that blows. That's, that that and Warcraft 2 are the games that you that had online features, but you can't get on modern Battle.net, and that sucks. Uh but um, it's it's very cool what they were doing with StarCraft. I mean, at the same BlizzCon, they announced that you can buy that uh, the first chapter of StarCraft II, Wings of Liberty, is now free to play, and now um, the original version of StarCraft and Brood War are also free to play on Battle.net. But they recent, but that was right before they came out with uh, StarCraft Remastered earlier this year. Yeah. So yeah, Blizzard's been doing pretty well uh, by their fans for making older things available for people that want to play them for historical value or nostalgia um i I was surprised we didn't get a diablo 2 hd announcement after the starcraft hd i was really surprised we didn't hear they gotta be working on it yeah now we know they can do it so yeah yeah so that was cool Um, if starcraft 2 if starcraft hd um remastered is a success then i think we'll have a diablo flavored uh version of that soon yeah that'd be cool uh, so then the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit is there was uh, a lot of ca- controversy at the uh, PlayStation Paris uh, Games Weekend. Uh, there were two trailers in particular that caught everybody's attention. But before that, uh, way to go, Sucker Punch, making a samurai game. I'm on board with that. What is that? Yeah. Ghosts of Tsushima. Uh, Tsushima. Sh- I really struggle with saying that. Uh, that's, that's a tough title. I don't know if I like it. Uh, but go with them. Making a samurai game. Cool. Uh, but 
the two trailers that caught a lot of everybody's attention were uh, one for Detroit Become Human and The Last of Us Part Two, And there was this big pushback against the, the level of violence and gratuity in the two trailers. Uh, I had not actually watched them until just before we started uh, recording this episode. Here's my thoughts, and I want you guys to jump in while we talk about this. I think it's worth discussing. Um, the fact of the matter is that the Detroit Become Human was like almost like a bad Law and Order episode. Like the dude who is the who's like abusing his child, and he's like an abusive father. He's like kind of fat. He's got slicked back, greasy hair. Like he just looks like like if you say scumbag, like this is the guy that comes yeah. up in your head. Like he's the guy in a Law and Order episode that you are just designed to hate and like he's either either the culprit or a red herring for a surprise list and and it just was so heavy-handed and then the whole time i'm watching this i'm like well it's david cage why is anybody surprised like this is the guy who randomly showed madison topless in heavy rain and he said that like oh we're only going to use nudity for the story and then she just happened to go to like somebody's murder dungeon where he was getting ready to violate her with a power drill like and it had nothing to do with anything in the story. Nobody should be surprised by the fact that David Cage sucks at storytelling and he can't deal with the nuance that maybe somebody who wants to target a story about abuse in a household can do. And then he gets real lame and starts talking about how, like, oh, how dare you criticize me and, like, I'm trying to make a game for everybody, but at the same time, I don't want to say anything with my games. Like, guys, the guy, the guy's an asshole. Can we just come out and say it? Like, he's he's an auteur director that sucks. And yeah, nobody should be surprised by agree. this. I agree. Yeah, like, Heavy Rain sucked. Beyond Two Humans sucked. And guess what? This is probably going to suck. You, you mean Beyond Two Souls. But, Beyond but, Two Souls, but, whatever. But Two Human also sucked, and, but that's a different OJ. <laughs> Didn't he also do Indigo Prophecy? Because I liked that. Yeah, yeah, no, that think, started think, out cool. I think that Except was the for, one... That was the one that gave him, uh, you know, that gave him enough clout to make more projects. It's like if, like Zack Snyder's career is because he had the good Dawn of the Dead remake, and that that was his version of that. But I'm a little bit shocked that David Cage gets the budgets that he gets for having a pretty terrible reputation by this point. Yeah, and and like I, there was the whole controversy over the fact that uh, hackers got into Ellen Page's uh, model in Beyond Two Souls, and the fact that she was like she was a fully featured model with like breasts and nipples, even though you never see them in the actual game. So it's like, well, why were you doing that if you weren't planning on using it? And there was that whole kerfuffle. But the fact of the matter is, dumb kerfuffle. Wow. Well, well, it was dumb because like, why did he model that if he was never going to use it in the game? And then Ellen Page got. I think understandably angry about that. Like it just look, David Cage sucks. Okay. I say that with, with like all objectivity thrown out the window. I think he sucks. And this trailer was just more confirmation of the fact that this guy should not be handling storylines that are this impactful and could really like, these are things that people go through every day and he just does not have the ability to handle them with any grace or nuance. He just doesn't. Ain't that the truth. Like any other thoughts on that one? That to me was the cut and dry one. Like nobody should be surprised that David Cage sucks. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's going to play into, like, the themes in that trailer are what are going to play into the next part of the discussion, I think. Right. So then we move on to The Last of Us 2, which um, 
Wow. Uh, that trailer was... Uh, so I'm of a couple minds of that trailer. First off, video games need to get off this massive hard-on that they have for the continuous shot. So, like, every cutscene huh. now is one continuous Goodfellas-style shot. That's all Metal Gear Solid Five was, and I think that's one of the reasons why that game's cutscenes are so bad, is because they force a continuous shot when it's unnecessary. I actually think The Last of Us True trailer does it way, way better, but it's unnecessary. Uh, that trailer is really violent and really dark and really disturbing. And I can understand why people were upset about it because it, it, it lacks any context. Right. I, I have no idea who these characters are. I don't know why they're doing this to each other. It's like, if you just turned on a random episode of the walking dead and people were just beating the snot out of each other. Yeah, so my thoughts on this um, uh, kind of piggyback off of some of the discussion that I saw on Twitter because it helped me solidify um, what I felt about it. There's um, Nadia Oxford, who writes for US Gamer, was tweeting about this, and I my thoughts sort of fell in line there. Um, the, the way I felt about it was, like, they can depict whatever they want to depict. Like, that's fine. As So to, to introduce, like, Rob, you mentioned lack of context. I think that's crucial because... We don't know why this violence is happening on the screen. So, like, without context, it doesn't seem to have meaning. It's just there to be gratuitous. The bigger problem, I think, is in, like, the context of a game journalism event. That's the real thing here. Because they were showing trailers for, like, kid uses graffiti to escape bullying. And mouse uses sign language to communicate with the player in VR. They're showing these. And then they show us this, like incredibly violent scene from a game that we don't even know what game it is until the logo flashes at the end. Cause it's just people abusing each other. So like, why, why would they think that it's acceptable to show something with that level of extreme violence in the middle of a video game journalist, like press event? Because my, I mean, I wasn't covering that event in terms of like news or anything, but we, we go to E3, we do this kind of stuff. And like, I'm not cool with that. I'm not, especially not out of context. Like I played the last of us and I thought it was phenomenal. If Mm -hmm. violence is used as a tool for storytelling, that's one thing. And I'm totally cool with it, but like no video game. I mean, this is like probably sounding very, I don't know, defensive or whatever, but like, that's not my job description. If I was at that event covering it, I would have been really pissed off because like that would have meant that I would have been, you know, forced to sit there and watch this extreme violence that I wasn't prepared for in any way. And then of course you can come back with the argument that like, well, if you don't like you get a different job or whatever. I just think that like it was in, if nothing else, it was in, again, in poor taste. They, the fact that they chose these displays of gratuitous violence as like a means to market their games and that they expected and received the reaction from a lot of people like, Oh man, look at that. That was so brutal and intense. Like what the hell is wrong with them? I'm so not cool with that. I think that plays into the fact that, like, when you watch a movie trailer, and even for, like, a super violent movie, unless it's a Red Band trailer, and usually those are online, they always cut away from the violence. They don't yeah. really show it yes. to you. And so, like, I, I can definitely... So that's an argument I hadn't thought of, Derek, is, like, they, they full-on show a woman getting hit in the face with an axe. Yeah. And, like... And they know, show a, a lengthy depicting, a, depicting of a... Sorry, depiction of a hanging... Yeah, there's a lot of harrowing images in that trailer. Yeah, and like you don't see that in like a movie trailer when you're like going to the movies to see like Star Wars. You're not going to see like this. You're not going to see a trailer for Hostel that shows you everything. You know what I mean? So I I can definitely see that. Um, 
I, I think mostly yeah. this was a poor decision on Naughty Dog's part in who in what to cut for the trailer for this big yeah. event. Yeah, like, it would be like push boundaries, but like, like if you were showing a trailer uh, for Reservoir Dogs, would you only show the scene where Michael Madsen um, like cuts off the ear of a police officer and beats the crap out of him? Yeah. No, you you would show multiple things to show multiple sides of the movie. And not yeah. one extremely gratuitous scene. So yeah. even um, it doesn't bother me that this scene is in this video game, but it does right. bother me that, that that the you know big reveal to the world of this game was this gratuitous scene that yes. that that may be in poor taste. I agree. And the marketing uh, executive who was on the stage immediately preceding the trailer was like he ended his little speech and and introduced the trailer by saying, "And it's never been a better time to be a gamer." And then I watched that, and I'm like. This, this is what you think represents like the, <laughs> the progression of the gaming industry. Like, yes, the last of us was an amazing game. I really like it. And again, I am in no way saying that games shouldn't be allowed to depict scenes like this and tackle these kinds of themes. That's fine. I just think that it was a really boneheaded decision to show it the way they did. And so I guess that, I guess you can take away from this, me saying like, Oh, I'm, I was triggered cause I'm a snowflake or whatever. But I just think that like, uh, well, per, on a personal level, like, my my opinion is that like I think extreme violence is becoming normalized, and I don't. I'm. It's not for me. I don't like it, and I I don't understand why people like rebel so much in it. But I, that's that's me. That's my personal thing. Um, just in terms of like how it was framed, though, in this context, I think it totally it was a total screw up, and I and think I, that people are justified in criticizing it. I, I agree, and I, I think back to two other Last of Us moments from trade shows. Uh, the first trailer for The Last of Us Part Two was incredible because you had seen the aftermath of the violence with Ellie playing the guitar, and like yeah. violence had definitely happened, but you hadn't seen it. I thought that was way more effective. And then the big one for me, I can't remember if it was your first E3 Derek, but the one where they showed the first gameplay for The Last of Us, and it ended on that shotgun shotgun blast, which didn't show you everything. Like it cut away, like just as it happened, like you just saw the impact, and it cut away. And that to me was a gut punch of just like holy crap. And I remember the audience cheering, and I was chilled, Mm -hmm. and I was actually okay with that from a trailer standpoint because it made the violence real to me. Like but I was the like, reaction. Yeah, the reaction is what terrified me. But like me the the audacity of that gameplay montage, like that showed you, okay, this is not Wolfenstein, this is not Hitman, this is not God of War, this is not a game where you revel in violence. This is a game where you survive violence. And so, and you're supposed to be horrified by it, right? And I was like, like there were moments in the original Last of Us where, like, when I shot somebody in the face, and I was just like. Jesus, like, yep. Okay, like, and I think that's extreme. Ooh. That's effective. That's something yeah. that only a video game can do to you because you put you literally pulled the trigger. You pressed L or whatever to you know or R to shoot. Like, so th- yeah, I think that's that's something to be said about the the power of video gaming to have like these profound emotional effects on us. But um, yeah, I was so bothered by that when that happened. Like the the raucous cheering, the like, dude, bro, oh, sick, like. That, uh, I don't understand that personally. Like, maybe this is me. You can say I'm being on a high horse or whatever, but like that's how I feel. I I just think that it's like gross and genuinely like on a human level disturbing that people react that way. Um, 
Well, it, it also made me a little nervous for The Last of Us Part Two because at this point, you know, Jackie and I have officially checked out of The Walking Dead after years of being underwhelmed by that show. Mm-hmm. But at a certain, but at a certain point with that show, it was just violence for violence' sake. Like I just was like, I don't care what's happening. Like you're just going for shock value. I don't yeah. care. And that first, you know, real game, that first cinematic trailer for The Last of Us Two, not the Ellie one, but this most recent one. I kind of got a little Walking Dead vibe where I'm like, I feel like you're just trying to shock just for the sake of shock. And maybe that scene will make complete sense and I will eat my words and I'll be like, that was amazing and effective the way other moments in that game, in the first game were. But out of context, it just feels weird. It's just, it's beautiful. Like it is amazing. The technology going on with there with that game, but like, I don't know what the point was of showing me that trailer. Like, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like that feels like a very effective scene that like, I would have rather experienced like the violence in Wolfenstein, uh, the new Colossus. There are scenes that are holy crap violence, but in the context of the game, they make sense and they still hit you like a goddamn gut punch. And they're and- way more effective than if I saw them in a sizzle reel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for all we, for I, I know you've brought up the issue of context before, but for all we know, The Last of Us Part Two could be excellent, and the violence could be, you know, in, impactful and uh, and well executed in a way that you know will have us enjoying the game. But in the context of cutting this trailer, I think it was just a poor decision. Yeah, yeah. give me uh, give me that shot of the Colossus remake instead. How about that? Yeah, which right? I uh, wow, oh, man, February. That game, that game still feels special and ahead of its time. Yes, it does. And people were like, oh, yeah, the controls are still wonky. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. And, and uh, this is because I had um, – I think it's because I had trophy data loaded for the PS3 Shadow of the Colossus remake. Um, I, th- I think that was the check that they did. But they gave me a free PS4 Shadow of the Colossus theme at the time at the time oh. of the trailer because I, because I had – because they found data on my PSN account for the – uh, remake, which Weird. is over the, I, I, I can't yeah. believe I'm going to buy that game for the third time, but I absolutely <laughs> love it. I just, I, I still, there's still. It's, been, it's be, been long enough that I, I think I want, I want that remake too. Well, I said it back at E3, and I'm going to say it again. That game needs to have more to it. At maybe not new Colossi, but like a making of documentary or something. It can't just be the same game again. That's really going to bum me out. Like there needs to be. This isn't an up and down remake like the Resident Evil remake. Like this isn't like you know New Mansion with new scenarios. It's the same. Maybe Colossi. A Colossus mode where you're trying to shake off the human running up your body. Well, I mean, they they toyed around with that in the game's code. That one uh, Glitterberry <laughs> who like went super deep into Shadow of the Colossus, like looking for stuff. I just, how amazing would it be if what's his face like made four new Colossi? Or what if you had to kill uh, Trico? Ah, no. Oh my god. Oh my god. I bet, you know, I bet they'll do, at least do like a um, Last Guardian costume or something for one yeah it it still looks amazing like that game's design is just so wow i i liked the last guardian but and i liked eco but shadow of the colossus is something that's the one that's the one i i love i love all three of those games but shadow is the best the middle child is the best i agree i was thinking about getting um you know i have the shadow of the colossus weak point sigil tattooed 
Oh yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about getting um, like a really light, like a sky blue outline around all of it to make it kind of glow. So Ooh. to uh, commemorate the release of the HD remake. <laughs> yeah. But I'm always and, thinking about game tattoos. So. Yeah. Oh man, all... we're getting um, uh, Secret my... of Mana. No, well, oh, I, have, I, thought, I already. I, have I, thought, I thought you were. I thought you were going to talk about Secret of Mana. The Secret of Mana new details because yeah, I know you have that tattoo. Oh yeah, no, um, my but so my boyfriend and my uh, buddy Wolf. So we we run a Final Fantasy fourteen podcast together, Astral Era, and <laughs> plug. Wow, wow! <laughs> I should make you pay money when you do that. Well, I, hey, I, got to, I, I, I briefly mentioned Retro Encounter earlier, so Derek gets, gets his shot. That's uh, well podcast.com. Um, no, I really was just bringing it up for context, uh, but I'll take the plug. No, we're doing, um, so the Final Fantasy XIV raid that came out with the Evil East stuff. Um, I, th- I don't remember if I talked about it on this podcast at all, but it's really cool. It's, it runs through Ravenaster, and you fight several of the summons from FF12 and stuff. But we were all deciding, we were talking about it, and we decided we want to get our uh, Zodiac Stones tattooed from FF Tactics. Oh, cool. Yeah, so mm. I just know, I know that you like Tactics. So yeah, okay, sorry. I got into yeah, it. I was excited. You could, you could like, pick your favorite class from 14 and have that class symbol on, the, uh, on, the, on their crystal next to your Zodiac Stone symbol. Oh, man, I thought about getting the actual job symbol before, so that's a good idea. Well, I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed that at uh, the PlayStation Experience in December, because I'm guessing they're still going to do that. Fingers crossed that they uh, show a Souls game, I or something from From what Software. You, what do you want? Do you want? I, like I want Souls? something entire. I want something entirely new. I, okay. I even if it's the same style but a different setting. I the same way that Bloodborne was so incredibly new. I would love to see that. But From Software has been so quiet. And I'm really, I still like my idea of that uh, Armored Core Souls game where it's like, it, it's like Blaster Master. You're, you're in the, the Armored Core mech and you're in these giant environments and then you have to get out of the mech and go yeah. into dungeons. I, I, I want to make that game. Like, and I want it like super, like, I, and I don't want it to be all like neon techno future. I want it to be like that harsh, like apocalyptic future that we know from software could do very well. So like kind of the way Nier is so like Spartan in design and with the deserts and the like cityscapes, imagine that on the scale with armor core and then like getting out of the mech. Mm. Did I just that make a game great to me? Yeah. I, feel I think like you did. I just made a game, which by the way, blaster master zero really good play it. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I, I think that game overly relies on the, the maximum power when you're in the, the human form. Like if you don't have that ultimate upgrade, some of those bosses can be uh, pretty tough. That's true. But it's yeah. a cool game. It was, that last level was so good. Holy crap, that last... Did you beat it? Blaster Master? Yeah. Yeah, you got the... So, like, you went to the crazy, like, alternate uh-huh. dimension where, like, gravity started working differently and everything? Oh, and the the ship section, yeah? Yeah, that was so yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, man. I wish the whole game was like that. I was getting a little bored with it, but that last level was really good. Yeah. Really, really good. I need more Switch games. All right. So I think that's everything, right? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. have anything else to... I would say so. I think it's time for me to go uh, warm up some dinner and watch uh, Stranger Things Season 2 with the wife. Oh, nice. i got to continue yeah. that. I'm only We're three episodes in, and I'm, I'm digging it so far. I still have a little bit of problems with their storytelling, but I am liking it, and it feels a little bit better paced than Season 1 so far. Yeah. Season, one, season 1 should have been like five episodes. 
No, that's good. No, there was there was a lot of downtime in season one. I well, I, I'm just grateful that most of these I Netflix do. and Amazon series, you know, can go nine or ten episodes and aren't obligated to do a full twenty six episode season order like traditional TV. Because yeah, I, I think there's just too much damn TV on most channels. So a boutique series that can go only ten episodes feels just right. Yep, 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 yep. Also, the, the did you see the Stranger Things uh, Blu-ray from Target, and it's shaped like an old VHS box? <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Oh, my God. It is so – like, I got mad at Jackie. I was like, we didn't need to buy that. And then she shows me, and I'm like, all right, that's – It's that's like cool. uh, that's awesome. my, my roommate, who's a big fan of the uh, Marvel movies, as, as are many of us uh, – Bought the cassette tape version of the uh, of of the the soundtrack of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Nice. But he doesn't own a cassette tape player. <laughs> oh my god! I love. We go to a movie theater. Uh, we, we went to a drive-in movie theater outside of town, and they had like old VHSs and like lined up like an old video store. And like I wanted to start crying. I was like so excited to like that old like everything's gritty. That smell of popcorn. Like oh man, that just that took me back. We did buy the original Star Wars there. That was awesome. Oh, That's ho, ho. Cool. ho, 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 ho. All right. So, uh, That's definitely the animatronic cut without the added digital effects. Correct. Correct. The, the uh-huh. CBS Fox. Apparently, that's the reason why we haven't gotten the unedited. Uh, unedited. Uh, that, that sounds like Star Wars is dirty. That's why we haven't gotten the uh, non-specialized version of Star Wars is because they're still owned by CBS Fox and Lucasfilm and Disney CBS Fox. Yeah, that CBS and Fox worked together on the original release of the Star Wars VHSs. If you look on, if you look in the old box huh. boxes way back, that's why they did the THX version as a new release, where all the money went to Lucasfilm. So that's why those are. That's why he made the new versions is so that that he got all the profits from the VHS and DVD sales. It was very huh. smart. It was extremely smart, but that's also the reason why Greedo shot first. Oh my god! Which is, which is bullshit. We're back on this again. We're back on this again. But we could talk about Star Wars all day. All right. So for uh, Derek and Solosi, thank you everybody for listening, and we will see you all later. Swear to me that you'll subscribe to us on iTunes. I'm keeping that in. That's great. <laughs> that's that's great.